All right. I'm back. All right, sorry about that. That was uh, my, my uh, usually, <laughs> of course, I have to do it the same way every single time. When I uh, started streaming the thing for YouTube, it uh, gave me some kind of uh, warning message. So usually I have an excellent condition on my, my, uh, my internet. And uh, so I think I did it something, I did it a little bit differently this time. And I should have, I should have done it, uh, I should have uh, tried that when, uh, as a, um, before before the class for, instead of doing it live so anyways I'm, I'm back on uh, live so I, and that song would be I think I might play that song at the end but I, I no I'm not gonna play it again <laughs> for those who are living and watching live that's I apologize for that but uh, you know I probably could actually I could play, play that song again actually um, for those who are uh, yeah why don't I do that again I can do that again let me uh, of course I, I deleted I, I closed it so Oh, let's see. Hold on one sec. All right, let me try. I need to try to play that that song again, just for the people who are on the internet, because I just I just deleted that the last uh, that the song and everything. I had to re uh, go back in uh, and re-record the thing. So hold on one sec. Let me just put the guitar back on. We'll play that song again for the people who might want to have heard that song, so it's not going to be on the recording because I, I deleted that. So hold on, let me do it again. Oh, jeez. What's going on here? That's interesting. That's interesting. I'm getting that warning again. Well, that's 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 really weird. It's the same thing. It doesn't look like it has any problems. I don't know what they're talking about. Oh, technology. I haven't had any problems with this. All right, let me just do this song here again. So for the people on the tape. Gave you 
did I love My love is who and what I am And this is love I raised you with my son It sat you at my right hand out of love brother just as I just as I loved you forgive don't hurt each other be kind and tender-hearted comfort and help each other this is the love of God Everlasting love You are my child The apple of my eye I gave you my all When I sacrificed my son Walk in my love And show the world you're mine Cause you're mine Remember who and what you are Son of God united with my son Out of love My truth will serve to sanctify you You and me and I will be in you In my love My love is who and what I am And this is love I made you my child I am yours Now you are mine Now love your brother Just as I Just as I loved you Forgive don't hurt each other Be kind and tender hearted each other this is the love of God I love you with an everlasting love you are my child the apple of my eye I gave you my all when I sacrificed my son walk in my love and show the world your mind And show the world your mind Show the world your mind Cause you're mine Alright, let me hang the guitar up again. <laughs>
If you, yeah, if you could turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Sorry about that with the, uh, for the people on the internet. I, I, hopefully you can hear the, the broadcast is good. It's giving me some kind of warning I've never had before and uh, about the bit rate. But I, my internet's fine, perfect. So it might be some kind, I might have to, I, what I did is I could have kept going, but I want to ensure the fact that the people online could hear me. So I don't know if, they could, if it's uh, how it is right now. Uh, for them so it will go up this class will be i can upload this class to if the quality is not good um or if it, the, it, it ends for some reason uh, i can always upload the recording of this because i recorded it at the same time so i can upload it to uh youtube so for those who are so just so if this does this this broadcast on youtube doesn't go it doesn't sound good it doesn't work or it ends for any reason i always have the record this recorded this class and i'll upload it to youtube Okay, so I, I backed out of it and went back in just for the uh, people who are watching me live. So hopefully you're, it's a good broadcast. It sounds, the quality is still good. All right, so let's take a moment of silent prayers. This is a custom. We take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves to determine if we're in fellowship with God because any mental, verbal, or overt act of sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But according to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to the Father, He, God the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. So we, uh, we maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the Scriptures which He's inspired. And that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit and Colossians 3.16 to let the Word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. So if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing or distracting to you, do what 1 Peter 5.7 says. Cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us, another day to study your word. We thank you for the grace, the faith, the salvation, to work on our behalf and eternity past, and the personal work of your Son of the Cross, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives from regeneration to resurrection. We thank you, Father, for your faithfulness to this ministry. Thank you, Father, for the technology, the people taking advantage of it, and I pray it would function properly and there'd be no problems with the recordings, the video, and the audio, and upload these things to our various websites, podcasts, and media platforms that you've given to us. And thank you so much in the past for answering those prayers. And I just pray, Father, that today that your people in the audience will learn by the power of the Spirit, understand and make proper application, help them carefully consider the passages and principles we've known here uh, this morning. And I just pray, Father, that they would receive the necessary spiritual nourishment and each person would be spoken to individually and also all of us as a corporate unit. I pray that you would empower me by the Spirit to communicate your word with accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power so I can minister to your people. And... Uh, and any unsaved that might be in the audience. And I just pray, Father, that the unsaved uh, might be able to, through the power of the Spirit, understand the gospel so that they can make a decision to either accept or reject your Son, Jesus Christ, as Savior. And we know that you desire all people to be saved and come to an experiential knowledge of the truth. So, Father, we pray for this service in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All righty. We're off and running here. A little bit of drama there at the beginning with the technology. And uh, again, I, I put my, I hopefully my, it looks like it's, you know, doing fine, but uh, it just had this weird warning and I don't know why 
because nothing has changed here. So with my uh, my my bright my internet, so I have really good internet. So uh, anyways, uh, we're, let's go for it. And again, if, if, if for the people live on YouTube, if the, if for some reason the broadcast fails or whatever, it's not good quality. I do record this class at the same time, dual system. So I. I'll upload it to YouTube if there's a problem with this broadcast, the recording of it. All right, so we're going to be, as you can see on the board, we're going to continue our study of Ephesians chapter 2, verses, verse 11. Uh, today will be our second hour in it, and this actually constitutes our 101st hour in Ephesians. We began a study of verse 11 by noting on uh, Tuesday, uh, verses 11 through 13 actually present a strong inference with the contents of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Today, we'll be looking at that, uh, the A part of verse 11, which teaches us that Gentile Christians, who actually the Gentile Christians in the Roman province of Asia, who are the recipients of this letter, must remember that God brought them near to himself in Israel despite their under, unregenerate state. So we'll talk about what that means. And uh, today and also on, um, and when we get to uh, Thursday, uh, Saturday's class. And, uh, and so therefore, uh, we see that... Uh, uh, this uh, this section of Ephesians chapter two verses eleven through twenty two is very important for us Gentiles, and uh, and uh, who are Christians, and uh, so it it's uh, it, because we're Gentiles just like the recipients of this letter, unless you're a Jewish a Jewish Christian, a Messianic Jew, and so uh, the very important and, and reason why we'll see that one of the reasons why Paul is doing this uh, this section is what he's talking about here. The, the Jew and Gentile Christians are part of the new humanity, composed of the new humanity that will reign over this earth with Christ during his millennial reign, uh, Paul wants to uh, make sure the purpose of this, it coincides with the purpose of this letter, which I'll touch upon today, which was to maintain the unity experientially between the Jewish and Gentile Christian communities. And you might say, what's the big deal about that? Well, you know, you remember back in the first century, the Jews and the Gentiles had nothing to do with each other. I remember Peter had to be told three times in a vision in Acts chapter 10 that it was all right to go into a Gentile zone. They just didn't do that. And uh, they didn't have any associations with them, and because of the, and they also they didn't fell, eat with them because they had the dietary regulations, and the Gentiles didn't have that. So, uh, so they protect their uh, their uh, ceremonial cleanly, uh, cl uh, cleanness. Uh, they needed to, ceremonial purity. They uh, they would abstain from going to a Gentile's home or eating with them or having fellowship with them in any way like that with dinner or something. So. So when believers, when Gentile believers started coming into the church, starting with in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius and his family, the Roman centurion, uh, they come into the church and now they're they're rubbing elbows with the Jewish Christians. And uh, right off the bat, there was a problem because the Jewish some of the Jewish Christians, who we call Judaizers, believed that the Gentiles had to be under the law, live by the law, just like the Jewish Christians had to. And of course, uh, Acts 15, the first church council says no. That's not the case. And uh, the Jews were given the law, and uh, that was to govern the religious, social, and economic life and uh, political life and religious life of the nation of Israel, not the Gentiles. The, Jews, the Gentiles were not giving the Mosaic law. The Jews were, of course. Paul makes that clear in Romans 9, 4, and 5, and the book of Exodus makes that clear in the, the, the uh, Pentateuch. So uh, we're going, so therefore this is, so therefore when Jew, Jews and Gentiles were mixing with each other, there was culture shock. In other words, so uh, what Paul is alluding to here in verses 11 through 22 is trying to, like he did in Romans uh, 9, 10, and 11, is to make sure that the Gentile Christians didn't get arrogant toward the Jewish Christians or that they didn't, uh, you know, there was some, no, there was no problems with their unity experientially. They have unity uh, positionally through the baptism of the Spirit at justification and the baptism of the Spirit, but, and also in a perfecter sense when they're in a resurrection body, but experientially, experientially in time, 
that uh, is maintained by obeying the command to love one another and all that involves. And that's the purpose of the letter. If you look at the first uh, three verses of chapter four, which start the application of the doctrinal section of Ephesians, which is the first three chapters. And the application section is uh, in the last three chapters. The doctrinal section is in the first three chapters. So uh, let's look at Ephesians chapter two. I'm going to read from the Net Bible today again. I'll look at Ephesians chapter two, verse one. We'll read the whole chapter, and then we'll look uh, look at verse eleven for the rest of the uh, day. And before we do that, we'll actually look at my translation of the second chapter as well. And before we look at verse eleven in detail. So if you look on the board, it says in Ephesians chapter two, verse one. And although you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly lived according to this world's present path, according to the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the ruler of the spirit that is now energizing the sons of disobedience, among whom all of us also formerly lived out our lives in the cravings of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you are saved." And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Why did he do this? To demonstrate in the coming ages the surpassing wealth of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you were saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus, for good works that God prepared beforehand, so we may do them. Therefore, Remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision that is performed on the body by human hands, that you were at that time without the Messiah, alienated from the citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace the one who made both groups into one and who destroyed the middle wall of partition, the hostility, when he nullified in his flesh the law of commandments and decrees. He did this to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace and to reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by which the hostility had been killed, has been killed. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near so that through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you're no longer foreigners and non-citizens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household because you've been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, in whom, excuse me, you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Let's read my translation of the, this same chapter, chapter 2 of Ephesians. Now, correspondingly, even though each and every one of you is a corporate unit, we're spiritually dead ones because of your transgressions, in other words, because of your sins, each and every one of you formerly lived by means of these in agreement with the standard of the unregenerate people of this age, which is the production of the cosmic world system, in agreement with the standard of the sovereign ruler, namely the sovereign governmental authority ruling over the evil spirits residing in the Earth's atmosphere. Specifically, the spirit is presently working in the lives of those members of the human race who are characterized by disobedience, among whom each and every one of us also, formerly for our own selfish benefit, conducted our lives by means of those lusts which are produced by our flesh, specifically by indulging those inclinations which are produced by our flesh. In other words, those impulses which are the product of our flesh. Consequently, 
Each and every one of us caused ourselves to be children who are objects of wrath because of our natural condition from physical birth, just as the rest correspondingly caused themselves to be children who were objects of wrath because of their natural condition from physical birth. But because God is rich with regards to mercy, because of the exercise of his great love with which he loved each and every one of us, even though each one of us as a corporate unit was spiritually dead ones because of our transgressions, he caused each one of us to be made alive together with the one and only Christ. Each and every one of you as a corporate unit are saved because of grace. Specifically, he caused each and every one of us as a corporate unit to be raised with him. Correspondingly, he caused each and every one of us as a corporate unit to be seated in the heavenlies because of our faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus. He did this so he could display for his own glory during the ages which are certain to come, the incomparable wealth which is the product of his grace because of kindness for the benefit of each and every one of us because of our faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus. Each and every one of you is a corporate unit to save because of grace by means of faith. In other words, this salvation never originated from any one of you as a source. It originated as the gift from God. It does not originate from meritorious actions as a source so that a person cannot, for their own benefit, enter into the state of boasting. For each and every one of us are his creative workmanship. For each and every one of us has been created by means of our faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus in order to produce actions which are divine good. These God prepared in advance so that each of us would conduct our lives by means of them. Therefore, each and every one of you as a corporate unit must continue to make it your habit of remembering that formally, each of you who belong to the Gentile race with respect to the human body, specifically those who receive the designation uncircumcision, by those who receive the designation circumcision with respect to the human body performed by human hands, each one of you used to be characterized as without a relationship with Christ, each one of you used to be alienated from the nation of Israel's citizenship. Specifically, each of you used to be strangers to the most important promise, which is the product of the covenants. Each of you used to not possess a confident expectation of blessing. Consequently, each one of you used to be without a relationship with God in the sphere of the cosmic world system. However, because of your faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus, each and every one of you is a corporate unit who formerly were far away have now been brought near by the means of the blood belonging to this same Christ. For he himself personifies our peace, namely by causing both groups to be one, specifically by destroying the wall, which served as the barrier, that is that which caused the hostility between the two races and the two with God. In other words, by nullifying by means of his human nature, the law composed of the commandments, consisting of a written code of laws, in order that he might cause the two, to be created, created into one new humanity by means of faith in himself at justification and union and identification with himself through the baptism of the Spirit at justification. Thus he caused peace to be established between the two races and the two races with God. In other words, in order that he would reconcile both groups into one body to God through his cross, consequently he put to death the hostility between the two races and the two races with God by means of faith in himself at justification and union identification with himself through the baptism of the Spirit at justification. Correspondingly, he as a result came proclaiming peace for the benefit of each and every one of you, namely those who were far off, likewise peace to those who were near. Consequently, through the personal intermediate agency of himself, each and every one of us is a corporate unit, namely both groups are experiencing access by means of the omnipotence of the one spirit to the presence of the Father. 
Indeed, therefore, each and every one of you is a corporate unit are no longer foreigners to the covenants of promise, that is, foreign citizens, but rather each and every one of you as a corporate unit are fellow citizens with the saints, that is, members of God's household, because each and every one of you as a corporate unit have been built upon the foundation, which is the communication of the gospel to each one of you by the apostles as well as the prophets. Simultaneously, he himself, namely Christ Jesus, is the cornerstone. On the basis of its being continually fitted, inextricably together by means of justification by faith and union identification with him, the whole building is growing into a holy temple by appropriating by faith, union and identification with the Lord. In other words, by appropriating by faith, your union and identification with him, all of you, without exception, are being built together into God's dwelling place by means of the omnipotence of the Spirit. Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, begins with a command which I translate, each and every one of you as a corporate unit must continue to make it your habit of remembering that formerly each and every one of you is a corporate unit who belong to the Gentile race with respect to the human body. The Net Bible translates it as we just pointed out. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision that is performed in the body by human hands, that you were at that time without the Messiah alienated from the citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. They would remember that. And I translate verse 12 as uh, being, let me put that up on the board here, verse 12. Ooh, I just noticed something. I don't have that. <laughs> oh, here it is. Okay. Each and every one of you used to be characterized as, as without a relationship with Christ. Each one of you used to be alienated from the nation of Israel's citizenship. Specifically, each of you used to be strangers to the most important promise, which is the product of the covenants. And each one of you used to not possess a confident expectation of blessing. Consequently, each one of you used to be without a relationship with God in the sphere of the cosmic world system. So that's the command. They need to remember that, where they were. Again, he's doing what he did and in uh, and, and the first three verses, he's reminding the Gentile Christian community who he's writing to in the Roman province of Asia that they must remember their, pre, their pre-justification state when they were uh, spiritually dead individuals because of their sins and transgressions. They were sinners by nature and practices and they were enemies of God. And now he's going to describe even further what they were and uh, describe their unregenerate state even further here. But in order to accentuate, like he did in the first 10 verses, the grace of God. Because he talks about their pre-justification state, verses 1 through 3. Then 4 through 10, he talks about what God did for them at justification through the baptism of the Spirit. And also, uh, we see this going on in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. So, this command uh, is uh, around the verb. Uh, uh, we see here, right here, The uh, we have the second. Well, I'll, I'll look at the verb in a second. But uh, the command here in verse 11 uh, it started off with mene uh, menueta hati pauta humais ta ethne and sarki. Okay, and that's translated in the Net Bible as, as we pointed out, therefore that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh. Okay, and so that command, a comparison of the contents of verses 12 and 13 with this command, and the rest of the contents of verse 11 indicates that Paul is commanding. I'll give you the full screen again. He's commanding these Gentile Christians who were called uncircumcision by the Jews and possessed absolutely no relationship with God or his covenant people, Israel. He commands them to remember that they were brought near to God and his covenant people, Israel, by the blood of Christ. And this took place because of their faith in Christ, their justification, and their union identification with Christ, despite the fact 
that they possessed absolutely no relationship whatsoever with God or his covenant people, Israel. Now the verb there, which means to remember, it's the word uh, menuel. Menuel here, I translate each and every one of you as a corporate unit must make it a habit of remembering. Again, what are they, remem- what are they to remember? Uh, that they were at that time prior to justification without the Messiah, alienated from the citizenship of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And then he has the but now that they were brought near by the blood of Christ. So uh, when Jesus Christ died on the cross and he suffered the wrath of God in our place by suffering a substitutionary spiritual and physical death on the cross, and so when he did that, he broke down that barrier that was hindering Jews and Gentiles from being united together and having a relationship and a fellowship with each other and with God. And so uh, when the believer, whether you're Jew or Gentile, the minute you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and the Father declares you justified, and then simultaneously he's placing you in union with his Son and identifying you with his Son in his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session at the right hand of the Father through the baptism of the Spirit. When he did that, you and I, through the Spirit, appropriated uh, the work of Christ those, in those events in his life that allowed uh, us to have fellowship not only with the Holy God, us sinners, Gentile sinners, but also have fellowship with Jewish Christians who did the same thing and trusted in Jesus as Savior. So therefore, this verb, it uh, it actually, Manuel, uh, which is translated in the Net Bible with the word remember, and so this that's what it means, and it pertains to recalling information repeatedly from memory, but without necessarily implying that the thing has actually been forgotten. So therefore, what this verb is doing, it indicates that Paul is requesting that the recipients of this epistle, who he identifies in verse 11 here as Gentile Christians, he requests that they remember or recall that they were brought near to God and his covenant people Israel by the blood of Christ because of their faith in Christ, the justification, and their union identification with him. And the implication of this is that they were taught this in the past by Paul and their pastors, and that they were brought near to God and his covenant people, Israel, by the blood of Christ because of their faith in Christ, that justification, and their union and identification with him. Now, the blood of Christ is, you know, we'll talk about this in this study of this passage in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. It's a representative analogy. And basically the substitutionary spiritual and physical deaths on the cross of Christ are uh, those animal sacrifices, the bloody animal sacrifice. Remember John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, uh, you know, uh, that's in John's gospel, right? It was John 129. And so he's basically, Jesus is that that lamb. The lamb in the Old Testament they, they used to uh, sacrifice in Old Testament Israel uh, with the Levitical sacrifices uh, was actually a t- was actually a picture of Jesus Christ, an innocent lamb, and Jesus was innocent. He was was sinless. So the the when he, when the writers of the New Testament used the phrase "blood of Christ" or "the blood of Jesus," whatever the blood of Christ Jesus, it's speaking of the fact that he not only died physically, but he also died spiritually. And what I mean by that, he suffered the wrath of God and was abandoned by the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm twenty-two, verse one, right. Well, he was being abandoned by the Father. And actually that uh, was more terrifying and terrible for Jesus because for the first time he and the Father would not have fellowship with each other. The Trinity was not disrupted. The integrity of his his uh, hypostatic union was not corrupted at all or diminished in any ways. It was their fellowship between the Father and the Son that was severed those last three hours of darkness on the cross. So 
uh, he was basically what, so when you think about it, when a person goes to the lake of fire, they're abandoned by the father. They don't have any fellowship or relationship with him. And also they suffer uh, eternal condemnation. So they're suffering the torture of uh, eternal condemnation. And, and also suffering mentally, the, 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 the abandonment of the Father, not having fellowship with him. Jesus did that so nobody in the human race would have to go through that forever. So that's the blood of Christ, okay? So the, the blood of Jesus, though it was sinless, is, not, is inanimate, and it's not as much value as the, the, the anguish of the son's soul, as we saw in Isaiah 53. It was because of the, age, the anguish of his son's soul that he was satisfied, propitiated. And uh, so, very important. So, again, this verb manuel, translated remember in the Net Bible, it indicates that Paul's requesting that the recipients of this letter, who again identifies as Gentile Christians in this verse, to remember or recall that they were brought near to God in His covenant people Israel by the blood of Christ because of their faith in Christ, the justification, and their union and identification with Him. The implication is that they were taught in the past by Paul and their pastors, that they were brought near to God and His covenant people, Israel, by the blood of Christ, all because of their faith in Christ, the justification, and their union identification with Him through the baptism of the Spirit of justification. Now, there are several reasons why Paul issues this command to the recipients of this letter, who we noted he identifies in verse 11 as Gentile Christians. First, it, uh, it is designed, this command is designed to promote unity among the Gentile and Jewish Christian communities, or in other words, the purpose of this command was to maintain unity experientially between the two communities. And the implication is that they would not enter into divisions so as to sever their fellowship with each other. This unity would be maintained experientially when these Gentile Christians practice the love of God when interacting with members of the Christian community that are Jewish. And this we noted in our introduction is actually the main purpose for the contents of this entire epistle. How do we know that? Well, it's indicated by the fact that Paul opens the practical application of his teaching in the first three chapters by commanding the recipients of this letter to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace in Ephesians 4.3. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you, Gentile Christians, to live worthily of the calling with which you've been called. How do they to do this? The manner in which they to do this is in verse 2. With all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, by means of the command, obedience to the command, love one another. Making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And what, unity with what? With each other and also Jewish Christian community as well. Then he talks about unity. There's one body, one spirit, just as you two are called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. See, the first seven verses, he's concerned about unity. And the whole the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians are basically the application passage uh, aspect of it and how they are to maintain that unity with each other in the Gentile Christian community when interacting with each other and with the Jewish Christian community. And uh, again, why? Because there was culture shock. The, the Jews had a totally, entirely different culture. Remember again, Peter, the Jews wouldn't even go to a home, into a Gentile home. Uh, remember Peter, again, Acts chapter 10. He had to be told by God three times in a vision that it was all right to go into a Gentile's home. And he did, and he gave the gospel to Cornelius. And so the Gentiles, they didn't have to observe the, the, the dietary regulations like the Jews, Jews did. And he, neither did 
uh, and also they didn't have to observe uh, they observed the you know the various covenants uh, the various um, uh, festivals passover you know pentecost day of atonement the jews were given that stuff and uh, the various sa- the sabbath but the gentiles were never given that and they were never given the written law like the jews were so that created a culture shock. And as we'll go through this chapter, Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22, and go through the rest of it, this section of chapter 2 of Ephesians, we're going to find out with all this, how this was uh, very difficult and that uh, it caused a hostility between the two races. Uh, this, uh, the Mosaic law did because the Jews had to obey it and the Gentiles were not giving it. And then remember in Acts 15, uh, the Judaizers were, at the, in this context in Acts 15, Jewish Christians were saying, they were believers, they trusted in Jesus, but they were erroneously telling the Gentiles had to get under the law, live by the law. And of course, uh, we see that Peter, James, and John said, no, they agreed with Paul. That's not going to be the case. So if you're a Gentile Christian, you're seeking to like a, live like a Jewish Christian, read Acts 15. I know some guys, a pastor, who's, uh, he, he acts like a Jewish rabbi, dresses like a Jewish rabbi, and carries around his Hebrew Bible. And, uh, and he thinks he's a Gentile. And it's like, you know, read Acts 15 if you listen to me. <laughs> Please, you don't have to live like a, 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 a Gentile. It's not to have to live like a Jew or dress like a rabbi if you're a pastor. It's just ridiculously ignorant of the scriptures. And, uh, you know, that's been around for a while, that false doctrine out there. The Gentiles have to live like uh, 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 Jews, Jewish Christians. It's ridiculous. Or Jews. So uh, we see here, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 again. So, we have, um, again, the, uh, there are several reasons why Paul issues the, this command to the recipients of this letter in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, who were Gentile Christians. And what were they to remember? Again, Ephesians 2, 11 to 12. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision that is performed on the body by human hands, that you were at that time without the Messiah, alienated from the citizenship of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, Jesus, you, used, who, you who used to be, you Gentiles, who used to be far away, you, meaning you were not in a covenant relationship with God, like the Jews were, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So, there are several reasons why Paul issues this command. First, as we pointed out, it's designed to promote unity among the Jewish and Gentile Christian communities. Or in other words, the purpose of this command was to maintain unity experientially between these two communities. And the implication is that they would not enter into divisions so as to sever their fellowship with each other. And this unity would be maintained experientially, as we pointed out, when these Gentile Christians practiced the love of God when interacting with members of the Jewish Christian community. And this we noted in our introduction is the main purpose of the contents of this letter. We just pointed out that this is indicated by the fact that Paul opens the practical application of his teaching in the first three chapters by commanding the recipients of this letter to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace in Ephesians 4.3. Now this would be accomplished by living in a manner worthy of their calling by pra- and by practicing humility gentleness, patience, and tolerance of one another through the practice of the command to love one another, which Paul instructs them to do in Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. And thus, motivation to practice the command to love one another is the second reason for this command in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. They're obligated to do so because God the Father exercised His love on behalf of them when they were spiritually dead and possessing absolutely no relationship with Him or His covenant people Israel. So, uh, we see here that uh, 
uh, you know, when we talk about um, this section, this uh, this relationship of the Jews and the Gentiles. Um, you know, the uh, you know Paul was actually doing this in Romans fourteen. You know, uh, remember he's talking about the uh, uh, the weak and the strong in, in, in Romans fourteen. The strong there are those who know, believe by faith and trust in Jesus' teaching in Mark 7 that you're not under the dietary, you don't have to observe the dietary regulations of the law. All foods are clean. Now, Jesus, basically Jesus was setting aside the dietary regulations in Mark 7. So uh, the Jews continue to observe them. And so there was only certain foods that they were, were clean and other foods were unclean. They couldn't eat that. So Jesus came along and said, you can eat all foods now. It's not what goes into the man's body that makes him unclean. It's what comes out of the heart that's evil that makes him unclean, not what he eats. So they, the, the whole point of the dietary regulations was um, uh, sanctification. And also, it might have been, been for health reasons too, but really it was an identification marker. And the real reason why Jesus, the, the Old Testament and uh, the Lord gave Israel those dietary regulations, clean and unclean, is because... Some of those foods that the pagans, Canaanites, that they were dispossessing were using a part of their worship of their false gods. So the eating and the worship of these gods, just like, you know, the church, we have meals together, the Lord's, Lord's Supper, and they had the Passover. So having meals together and the pagan worship, they used to do that too. So there were certain foods that they had, certain animals they ate, which were part of their pagan worship. So God didn't want the Israelites who were moving in there to dispossess them to get involved in those the, eating those animals because that would uh, be a part of the uh, pagan worship of the Canaanites and their various pe- indigenous people there that they were dispossessing. So that's the real reason why God God didn't want them to be influenced by these the, these pagan practices to get which would lead them into idolatry, and He didn't want that. That's why He did that. It's not really mainly for health reasons, though I'm sure. Uh, it was uh, it was good what God did, but you know Jesus said you could eat all food. So what does that tell you? So anyways, and you're supposed to pray over your food anyway. So, if, but if I was you, I wouldn't eat any processed foods. <laughs> Just saying. So the third reason we have another reason why Paul issues this command Ephesians four, Ephesians two eleven through thirteen. The third reason for this command in Ephesians two eleven through thirteen is to keep the Gentile Christians humble by preventing them from being arrogant in relation to their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. If God treated them according to his grace policy, when they were spiritually dead and possessing absolutely no relationship with him and his covenant people Israel, these Gentiles should remain humble and not be arrogant towards those in the Jewish Christian community who do not possess, who do possess a covenant relationship with God. Again, they're obligated to treat their brothers and sisters in Christ in the Jewish Christian, Christian community according to the same grace. And love, why? Because God exercised this grace and love, His grace and love toward them when they were not His covenant people and possessed absolutely no relationship with Him whatsoever. So, this is basically what Paul was teaching in Romans 9, 10, and 11, and 14. He's tell, he basically is say, saying what he said in Romans 9, 10, and 11 to, uh, to uh, comfort the, the, the Christian community in Rome, which mainly Gentiles, they were Jews, but uh, he didn't want them, he wanted them to know the reason why, uh, you know, God's, you know, God says, Paul says at the end of Romans 8, you know, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, you know, that famous passage. And now in 9, 10, and 11, he's addressing the issue 
uh, uh, which could which would arise and had arisen. Uh, that's why he mentions it. What about Israel? God looks like he's abandoned Israel. How can I trust God going to be um, faithful to me and not abandon me and nothing will separate my, uh, from me from the love of God and because of my union and identification with Christ Jesus? How I know how I know it's not going to happen to what is this not going to happen to me like what happened to the Jews? Didn't it, didn't he uh, abandon the Jews? No. The Jews abandoned God. He wouldn't they wouldn't trust in Jesus. So he goes and explains that. And then in chapter 11 you know, he's telling these Gentiles not to get arrogant. The reason why you have salvation is because of the Jews, which Jesus taught the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, salvation is of the Jews. The only reason, you remember the covenants, uh, the new covenant, which has the stipulation of the gift of the Spirit and forgiveness of sins, uh, that's given to the Jews. So how, we benefit from it, the Gentiles. Why? Because the minute we trusted in Jesus, as Paul says, we were united and grafted in. We are the wild olive branch, us Gentiles. And we were grafted into the olive tree, the Jews. And those branches that are taken off the uh, olive tree are those Jews that rejected Jesus as Savior. Those that the olive tree are regenerate Jews. The, the branches on the tree. So we basically telling the Gentile Christian community not to get arrogant toward the Jewish Christian community because you owe your salvation to the Jews. Okay, in fact, the whole world, the offer of salvation comes through the Jews. And isn't it interesting that who has more trouble in the world today but the Jews? Why? Because Satan is trying to destroy them. Look at, read, read Revelation chapter 12. It tells us this. And he's going to continue to do this right up to the second advent of Christ. It's been prophesied. Now, the fourth reason. The fourth reason why Paul issues this command in Ephesians 2, 11 through 13 is to promote thankfulness to God. Thankfulness to God on the part of these Gentile Christians and that they should, and this is true for us people because we're Gentile Christians, that they should, oh, we should always express our gratitude to the Father for the great deliverance he provided us through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, a Jew, and our union identification with this Jew, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. Thus, they should live their lives in a manner which reflects this new relationship that they have with God the Father through their union and identification with his son, Jesus Christ which they received through the baptism of the Spirit the moment the Father declared them justified through faith in His Son. And the fifth and final reason that Paul issues this command in Ephesians 2, 11-13 is so that these Gentile Christians will ultimately praise the Father for His glorious grace policy, which He exercised towards them when they were spiritually dead and possessed absolutely no relationship with Him and His covenant people Israel. Now, if you recall, Paul in Ephesians 1, 3-6 asserts that the Father is worthy of praise because he elected both Gentile and Jewish Christians by predestinating them to adoption as sons because of their faith in his son Jesus Christ at justification as well as their union and identification with him through the baptism of the Spirit. Now, here in Ephesians 2, 11-13, Paul wants these Gentile Christians to praise the Father for his glorious grace policy which he manifested when he declared them justified through faith in his son Jesus Christ and simultaneously made them alive together with his son which echoes Ephesians 2 5 if you recall in Ephesians 2 6 Paul defines being made alive together with his son as being identified with him in his resurrection and session at the father's right hand so uh, we see that there's five reasons for this prayer that this command to what's the command again Ephesians 2, 11 through 15, 13 tells us this. In the Net Bible, therefore, let me put it up on the board for you. 
Therefore, remember that you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, the Jews, that is performed in the body by human hands, that you, this is what they're to remember, that you are at that time without the Messiah, prior to your justification, alienated from the citizenship of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Uh, my translation of those exact same verses again. Let me give it to you. Therefore, therefore, each and every one of you as a corporate unit must continue to make it your habit of remembering that formerly each of you who belong to the Gentile race with respect to the human body, specifically those who received the designation uncircumcision by those who received the designation circumcision with respect to the human body performed by human hands, each one of you used to be characterized as without a relationship with Christ. Each one of you used to be alienated from the nation of Israel's citizenship. Specifically, each of you used to be strangers to the most important promise, which is the product of the covenants. Each of you used to not possess a confident expectation of blessing. Consequently, each one of you used to be without a relationship with God and the sphere of the cosmic world system. However, verse 13, because of your faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus, each and every one of you is a corporate unit in the Gentile Christian community who formerly were far away, not in a covenant relationship with God like the Jews, have now been brought near like the Jews by means of the blood belonging to this same Christ. In other words, his substitutionary spiritual and physical death on the cross, him suffering the wrath of God, uh, uh, made a way for us to enter into the Holy of Holies with Jewish sinners as well. And so here are the reasons, again, why there's five reasons why Paul gave this command in verses 13, uh, 11 through 13. The first, again, was designed to promote unity among the Gentile and Jewish Christian communities. In other words, the purpose of this command was to maintain unity exper experientially between these two communities. And the second reason, uh, actually the, the third reason, oh, I'll give you the third reason when again. Okay, where's the second reason? Okay, the third reason. Oh, this is all, this, so the implication is that, that they would not enter into division so as to sever their relationship and fellowship, uh, their fellowship with each other. So this unity, as we pointed out, would be maintained experientially when these Gentile Christians practice the love of God when interacting with the members of the Christian community that are Jewish. And this was the purpose of the contents of this entire epistle. So they would obey the command to love one another. So thus, the motivation to practice the command to love one another is the second reason for this command in Ephesians 2.11. So they would, he wants to maintain, the second reason he wants to maintain unity among the Jewish and Gentile Christian communities. How do you do it? Practice the command to love one another and all that it involves. Paul describes that in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. And throughout the rest of the letter, really. Then we pointed out, let me get this uh, back to the full screen here for you. The third reason. Now we'll get to the third reason. The third reason, again, for this command in Ephesians 2, 11 through 13, is to keep the Gentile Christians, you and I, humble by preventing us from being arrogant in relation to our Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what Paul was trying to do in Romans 9, 10, and 11, particularly chapter 11. If God treated them, us Gentiles, according to his grace policy, when we were spiritually dead and possessing absolutely no relationship with him and his covenant people Israel, we should remain humble and not be arrogant towards those in the Jewish Christian community who do not possess, who do, excuse me, possess a covenant relationship with God. The fourth reason for the command, verses 11 through 13. The fourth reason why Paul issues this command is to promote thankfulness to God on the part of us Gentile Christians and, and the fact that we should always express our gratitude to the Father for the great deliverance he provided each one of us through faith in his Son, Jesus Christ, and our union and identification with him. 
And the fifth and final reason is that Paul, that Paul issues this command in verse 11 is so that these Gentile Christians will ultimately praise the Father for His glorious grace policy, which He exercised towards them when they were spiritually dead and possessed absolutely no relationship with Him and His covenant people, Israel. So, that's uh, the, at the end of uh, today's class. We're going to pick this up on Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. And it uh, looks like uh, the broadcast for YouTube worked all right. I don't know what this warning is about because it seemed to be looking running fine. My internet's fine. I have no idea. Probably some kind of weird thing because I did kind of something kind of different than I usually do. I use a, have a certain process I go all the time, and I deviated a little bit from it. So that might have dorked things up for uh, for uh, YouTube Studio. So hopefully it's all right. If it, the broadcast wasn't that good, I'll just upload the recording of it. I, I record audio and video at the same time I'm doing the broadcast for YouTube, which records it for you as well. So anyway, so thank you for joining uh, me and uh, thank you for being patient. And uh, so I hope you have a, um, a um, good rest of the day. And I just let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray that this class would be a blessing to your people, Father, that uh, it would uh, cause us to be thankful and, and give praise to you and uh, humble us as, uh, as you, how you treated us Gentiles who were not in a covenant relationship with you and your, and your covenant people, Israel. But yet we've been brought near by the great sacrifice of your son at Calvary 2,000 years ago when he suffered the wrath of God in our place so that we wouldn't suffer the wrath of God forever in the lake of fire. We just thank you, Father. I just pray the Holy Spirit would impress upon us to give thanks and to be humble, and especially toward our Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ, to be humble and to be uh, give praise to you in prayer and thank thanksgiving in prayer for the great tremendous love you've demonstrated toward us when we were your enemies and not in a covenant relationship with you and dead in our sins and transgressions spiritually so father we pray for this in our lord and savior jesus christ's name the king of kings and the lord of lords amen <laughs>